My name's Christine. This is my podcast, Unmuzzled at 67, or as I like to call it, Confessions of a Pensioner. Um, this is episode five of the podcast. Uh, it's called My Salute to the Gay Community in the 70s in Glasgow. Thank you so much for inviting me in and giving me the best, some of the best years of my life. So just a wee recap on what we talked about last time, which was that uh, I had had uh, a couple of suicide attempts and that whole sort of grim story. And now I'm picking up where um back to work now. Slowly my parents are starting to uh, let me start to go out again because as you might remember from the last episode, uh, you know, I was more or less grounded. I was going to work back home and no getting out at all. So now slowly they're beginning to um, unrein me and I'm starting to get out. So we're kind of socially going in a quite a wee different direction now, purely by accident. Um, my friend at work's pals were two hairdressers and they were uh, they, both, they both were gay and just sort of gradually we started going about with them a wee bit more and they introduced us to the two main gay pubs in Glasgow at that time so um I mean it just was so much fun it just it, it just was a pure carry-on uh, in the pubs and this you know this Incredible uh, gay culture, just funny, be yourself, uh, drink as much as you like, absolutely no rules whatsoever. And so we settled in quite well. And I think looking back, if, I, if I'm right about this, we seem to be the only straight women. We were quite glamorous as well because um, don't forget, you know, we were uh, the sort of trainee glamour pusses working in the makeup uh, departments in Lewis's. So... There only seemed to be us, a couple of gay women, not not that many that I can remember, small amount, and just all these gay men. But on the on the doors of the of the two gay pubs there were, particularly one that had an upstairs section that seemed to be for gay people only, you had there was a pad a passcode that had to be used so you get in, so there wouldn't have any neds or bams, you know, mixing. So they would look at you to decide whether you were gay or not. And we had to use the old past uh, code, which was, I'm a friend of Dorothy. Now, I don't know if people use that nowadays or not, but it certainly was a thing that was used uh, back at that time. And people immediately knew that you were, if you like, gay friendly. You were, you know, you were welcome into that community and up the stairs we would go. So, I mean, the vibe was electric. It was uh, 70s music is iconic, isn't it? I mean, and you'd, all these people squashed into this small space. Uh, I was living my best life, screaming and carrying on and uh, brilliant fun, you know, and lots and lots and lots of drinking. I mean, if you opened the doors to go into that section up to us, all you could hear was laughing and carrying on. It was for, for us, it was great fun. And we were made so welcome. So... We were called fag hags. Again, I don't know if that's a phrase that, that is used these days, but that that's what we were called. That was fine. We weren't bothered what we were called. Um, and in most of it, we spent, you know, all of our social time gradually, uh, not just with these two guys, but obviously our circle of friends widened and we uh, we just were having a great time. We didn't really want to venture into the, the straight world much. So not that we were gay, but we just loved that whole vibe, that whole environment. But there were a couple of downsides. So, 
Uh, I'm going to have to sort of pick my words carefully here so as not to offend. But there was an activity called cottaging. Again, I don't know if that's a word that's used these days or not. And I'm going to give the briefest of descriptions and allow you to make up your own mind about what I'm uh, saying to you is that probably what, maybe the, when the pubs shut, if there was no parties going on or, or stuff like that. And don't remember, remember, pubs shut at 10 then in those days. Guy, some some guy, some uh, gay guys would go go towards the um, public toilets in St Vincent Street or wherever you were, and we, me, and my pal would be told, "Right, use fuck off now, use use beat it," and we would say, "Why? What you what you's doing? It's none of your fucking business what we're doing. Use go home away. You go. You also get the last bus." And they were very insistent, and we felt a little bit excluded. But maybe when we think back to what they were doing, it would be only right. But at that time, we didn't know. We just knew that we weren't allowed uh, to be a part of that particular thing. And I have another story <laughs> of of uh, which kind of comes under that umbrella of not being included. And this, I promise you, is absolutely true. So we had our friend called Damien, not his real name, obviously. And he was the one guy we went about with most of the time. So there was me and my pal and there was and there was him. And we would meet, we all lived in different areas of Glasgow, so we would meet uh, at a central point. Usually it was round about Buchanan uh, bus station. Um, and we would all meet there and say, how much have you got? Uh, especially if it was during the week, we wouldn't have much money. Much have you got, much have you got? And Damien would say, I've not got anything. But I'm going into uh, I'm going into those gents' toilets in the uh, Buchanan bus station. There's an auto teller in there. We said, "What? There's an auto teller in the gents' toilets?" And we fucking go. Listen, he said, "I'm not telling you any more than that. Um, I need to get the money for for going out the night. So uh, you just uh, continue walking down. I'll get you further down the road." You can see we weren't really curious women in any sense at all. We just thought, here we fucking go. Here's another thing we're not allowed to do. We can do everything else, but there's certain things that's, that's just for gay men only. And we just kind of shrugged our shoulders and, and come down. So about 10 minutes later, he's running down the road, a wee bit flushed. Oh, I said, that's fine. Uh, I think we had a fiver. Now, don't forget, a fiver would probably worth about £25 nowadays. Uh, and he would say, that's me, got my money, let's go. So again, I'm going to just leave that to you uh, to see what you think might have been going on in there. I don't think it's up to me to give every every detail. Let your imagination work that one out for you. That happened regularly and we weren't bothered one way or another. He got his money. We didn't care how off we went to have a good night out. And there was um, an unsaid annual orgy that went on for certain people, not for us, obviously. Um, and it was disguised as an annual party and it took place over in the South Side. And people would say to us, now listen, you, you were going to that party on Sunday, you just can't come, you know that. But sometimes if we went in the pub before that, people would be so drunk that they would forget and just let us come. And there were times when we managed to get in um, and it was an orgy. There, there are no two ways about that. That's exactly what it was. And uh, we were kind of going, what's he doing with that? 
I mean, when I look back now, nothing, and I mean nothing, could have shocked us. Absolutely nothing. Then somebody quite sober saw that we were there and said, right, you used to get yourself to, you shouldn't be here. You fucking know that. Get out. So we were quite pleased that we'd actually seen the orgy in, in action. And there it was happening in the south side every every year, up a close, in somebody's flat. Nobody was any the wiser. <laughs> Life was, was uh, beyond shocking. As I say, I can't think anything that would have shocked us. And for the people that we were with, sex was a big priority. I'm not saying everybody, I'm saying the guys that we went around with. Uh, and, you know, sometimes uh, when the pub shut, we would be saying, right, what are we doing? And they would say, well, used to are going home. I'm going with that guy. And at times we were a wee bit hurt when we think, fuck, they're just fucking using us for socialising. But they weren't. It was just the way things were. So uh, so there were kind of restrictions. When you look back, rightly so. We weren't gay. Uh, we weren't gay men. So, you know, we were privileged, I think, now, looking back to be a big, big part of the social life then. And we had such fun and such carry-on. So, and for me, it was great to be accepted um, for being myself and for once, you know, being overweight just wasn't a thing. And of course, nobody fancied you anyway. There's no way you were going to get your hole in anything. That just wasn't going to happen. So um, it was a great sense of freedom. And, it, and, you know, the more outrageous you were, the more that was encouraged. So it was a crazy, crazy time and a lovely time. So I wanted to briefly t touch on parties. And for those of us who are the age of, uh, that can remember the Billy Conley videos about parties, this is, uh, this is a similar time, I think. So a lot of times at the weekends and pubs shut at 10, there would be parties. So the, what you had to do was you had to leave the pub promptly at 10 and go to what was called an offy, which was an off license because they, that was the shop retail shop that sold, sold booze. So, you know, if, if you needed to get your carry out, you had to go prompt because there would be a queue. There'd be other people going to the party. So you had to go off your mark and, and get in quite quick. And of course, you had to make sure as well you were served, you had a carry out and you were ready to get on the last bus. So there would maybe be five or six years all there with our carry outs up the stairs in the bus, never took taxis. I don't remember ever. Bus service was absolutely pish, but that was all we knew, and that was all that was all we used. So, um, we would be up the stairs shouting and bawling, carrying on. Sometimes people would say, "You was fucking shouting and bawling," and start a fight with us. And other times they would be singing along with us, and you know whatever. So, um, so slowly, you know, my life was was going back to drinking the way I had drunk before, which was blackouts and this constant urgency uh, to get drunk as soon as possible. And once I started, I just couldn't stop. But before I leave this section of the story, I wanted to give you the um, the lowdown on what happened with carryouts at parties in those days. Maybe it's the same now, I don't know. I don't drink now, so so maybe not. So your, your carryout came in the proverbial blue plastic bag. And if, if, let's say, this was me sitting at the party, my carry-out would be down here at my feet. Now, if you'd halved it, like me and my pal would often half hours to make sure we get the same, you know, we both liked the same kind of drinks, it would be there and she would be allowed to delve into it and take hers and I would be allowed to take into it, to, to take uh, um, 
you know, a can or a whatever it was that was in it out. If anybody else tried to take something out your carry-out bag, you could the fucking hand taken off them. This was yours. This was yours and it was not to be trifled with with another person. If it was early on and you felt you had enough and somebody said, listen, I've no time for a carry-out, any chance they're giving us a wee can or anything out of there? You might. I think it's quite unlikely, but you might You might say yes. Um, so carry-outs were very, and very personal and very much drunk by the people. Never shared. Not 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 in our circle. Never shared. You never like in my mum's house if she had a party, people would bring stuff and it would all be put out on a table or it'd be put into the kitchen to be shared. No, that wasn't happening. That was your carry-out and you were drinking it exclusively. So let me just move on now to talk a wee bit about my job and how that was going. I actually got a new job. So I was still working in the makeup store and I moved to a different store and I kind of got a, a more kind of senior uh, position. Um, and this involved being away to London for two weeks for training and the makeup and the perfumes and how they worked and how to sell them and all that kind of thing. Um, and so we're staying in a hotel, not a nice one, but it's okay. And of course, everything was on account. So first few days, you know, we're at the course and we're writing everything down. We're getting homework and all that and uh, doing your homework. Go and have your dinner with all the other lassies. And then you would go up to your room to do your homework and whatever. That, that happened the first few nights, definitely. But then I started to hear that some of the girls were staying on and drinking. Oh, I says to myself, that's the fucking boy for me. What am I doing up there with the homework? I'm going to start going about with them. So that's exactly what I did. And I can't remember the exact details of how, but somebody in a drunken stupor managed to find the indoor swimming pool in the hotel. And um, and they were swimming. Oh, I'm absolutely bluttered and I'm saying, oh, fucking come on, Christine, let's get a wee dive in. Took my shoes off, dived in, nearly fucking drowned. So... I can't remember who was called. I don't think it was a lifeguard because it was like about one in the morning or something like that. And uh, and amongst all the commotion, the, the fire alarm went off and the whole fucking hotel was evacuated and I had to be saved to be in the pool. So that was the talk of the steamy for the full two weeks. Did it stop me drinking? No, not at all. Just carried on, tried to, you know... Uh, Quell it a wee bit, try, try to keep it a wee bit under control, keeping away from the swimming pool, obviously, nearly get fucking bad for the hotel. Um, just managed to pass the exam at the end of the two weeks. I mean, fucking no homework getting done, you know, no even able to take the information, mad hangovers, all that kind of thing. So I started my job in the back foot because, you know, I knew I had this reputation uh, for being a bit of a, bit of a boozer which wasn't the best way to start a job. Um, and so I had to really make an effort to, to stay in during the week and just go out the weekends. But the one thing nobody could say no to was a Friday night out in Glasgow. That was the best night of the week. Maybe it still is, I don't know. But it was the best night of the week. You couldn't miss it. Everything happened on a Friday night. So what we would do is leave work six o'clock at night, 
uh, go to, we could end up going to the Sarahid or we could go to the Regano. It didn't matter if somebody was meeting somebody and they said, do you want to go there or whatever, just wherever it was, we, we would just tag along. Then about eight or nine, we would go to uh, our favourite uh, gay pub, which was called The Vintners, and it was on Clyde's side. It's not there anymore. Um, we, would leave, we would leave, uh, leave the girls about eight or nine, go to The Vintners, and if there was no parties going on when the pub shut, we would head down to uh, the, the incredible new disco that had been opened in the Clydeside called Spankies. So we would end up in there to maybe like two o'clock in the morning or whatever. Just absolutely miraculous. How nothing happened to us, I will never know. But the real, real trial was getting into work on a Saturday morning after a night out like that. Uh, it was. It, it took a Herculean effort to get. It's like walking up a mountain in your flip flops. The effort that it took to get out your bed, to get yourself ready, and remember, you know, we weren't working in an office. We had to look the part. We really had to uh, be groomed with the makeup on and hair, and you know how you looked was really, really important. Um, and we both really, really struggled with hangovers. So it was. Not even about getting there. It was also about uh, when you got there, did you look the part? And to, but despite this, to be honest, we did make it most Saturdays and we did get away with it most of the times. And believe it or not, Saturday night, back out again, do exactly the same thing again. Um, and of course, in those days, the shops were shut on a Sunday. So uh, uh, we had the whole day Sunday to uh, put up with your parents nagging on and on and what's going to happen to you and your drinking's out of control and all this kind of thing. Uh, and you just get rid of the hangover all day Sunday to recover back again on the Monday. So I guess if you're drinking like that, it's quite expensive. So we really kind of curtailed ourselves to the Friday, Saturdays. So that was our life. <laughs> and as for my parents, they were just at their absolute wit's end. They just... They didn't know what to do with me and almost kind of giving up hope with me. So next time, I want to talk about a new adventure that, that presented itself out of nowhere um, and, and gave me a chance to for my first fresh start. My life was filled with fresh starts. This was the first one um, and, it, and it came at the right time. So we'll pick up the story next time, talking about that again. Thanks very much for being joining me today, for being with me. It's been great to have your company. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>